Well, unfortunately, banks have not thought about data as an enterprise-wide asset before now, in my opinion, right? Typically, data lives with the IT department. Yes. Okay. It's not viewed from a business objective perspective, and that needs to change in the industry. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 78th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Kim Snyder to the show. Kim is the founder and CEO at Clarivis and they are working to deliver a transformational data analytics solution to community financial brands created by bankers for bankers. Clarivis enables employees at all levels of the organization to confidently make data-driven decisions. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thanks, James Robert. Happy to be here. As we get started with our discussion, and before we go to help the dear listener demystify data together, what are you working on right now that you're just most excited about? So we're working, continuing to develop the product, right? And so our product evolution, some of the key things that we have on our plate right now are transactional uh, information, uh, making that easily accessible to our bankers. And so that's a huge priority for us and something that we're we're thrilled about and uh, super excited about. I like that because, you know, it's particularly when you think about digital growth, it's an ongoing journey and it's a lot of financial brands, they, I think they hope as we all do and wish that there's an end point, but it's almost like the further that you get, you're always seeing more opportunities to either create, capture or capitalize on or new roadblocks that we need to eliminate and, and work through together. So I like this ongoing evolution as you're continuing to develop the product. And, and when you're looking at developing the product, one of the things that, that you believe, as do I, is that the challenge when it comes to demystifying data is that community financial brands, they don't lack data. There's an abundance of data. But why do you believe this? Why do you believe that the challenge is not a lack of data? Let's start there. Well, I think that goes back to my banking experience, right? I know the amount of data that that goes through the banking systems, and it's enormous. I always, I always tell our clients that you have the most intimate details and information about your customers than anyone else does. You know, forget Google, forget Facebook, you know, all of these big players in the, in the tech space, your financial institution knows you should know you better than any of those other folks, because you're communicating with that financial institution every day through the way you transact. doesn't matter. And it should not matter how you transact with them, right? It shouldn't matter. It does right now because banks are having a hard time getting access to that data and understanding their customer stories. That's where the problem really lies. It's not the abundance of data. There's plenty of that. It's cutting through the noise 
and giving the banks the ability to focus on the high value actionable data that's meaningful to the customer. I really like that. This is non-verbal communication. And that's a great perspective because we say so much, not through the words that we speak, but through the actions of, and particularly when it comes to money, through the actions of which we just transact from swiping that card, auto pay. And there's, there really is, there's a, there's a narrative and a story to be told for every single individual. And many people aren't even aware of these behaviors that they have. And some are probably more negative than others and are putting them in a not so good situation. And and I see an opportunity to maybe bring some of this to light, to empower and illuminate a path forward to help someone really achieve the best version of, of themselves financially. And as a result, really just become the best version of themselves because that that wallet, the pain that someone feels in, in the wallet, whether that's a digital wallet or a physical wallet, really impacts their physical well-being as, as well as their mental well-being. And, and what you said, I think it's important. And, and I'd like to take a step back because you've been there. You've seen the other side of the table. How did you get to this point in just your own personal journey of growth? Can we go back and, and sure. just lead up to this moment in time? Yeah, no, absolutely, James Robert. I'd love to do that. So I was a community bank CFO for 10 years and um, our bank sold. That was a, a huge event in my life personally, as well as professionally. It was not something that 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 I thought would ever happen, right? And it did. <laughs> so voila, welcome to a new chapter in your life. Yes. Um, and um, I decided to start a consulting business and uh, focus on the financial institution industry. And I was fortunate to pick up some quick clients started hiring back my banking executives who had worked with me at my at my prior bank and and our desire was to create this boutique consulting firm of bankers who could go in, help banks move projects forward and get out of the way so they could keep running their bank. I thought as a banker, that would have been a great group of people to have had like access to. And so that's really what we were trying to create in, in our consulting company. Clarivus was born out of that experience. It didn't, we worked with about 30 different financial institutions over the course of about four years. Again, we were a small boutique firm. 60 plus percent of our clients hired us for second, third, fourth engagement. So we really, um, our desire was to become a trusted business advisor. And, and that's what we did. We worked in a variety of spaces, strategic planning, M&A. We did finance and accounting and we did process improvements. And it didn't matter which one of those engagements we were working on. It didn't matter how big the bank was. It didn't matter how sophisticated. It didn't matter what core system they were on. It didn't matter how many ancillary systems they had. Everybody was struggling with data. Yeah. It was paramount. And when I realized that that was an every community bank problem, not just a small community bank problem, we decided we wanted to go and solve it. And so that is truly how Clarivus was born. And we used our customer feedback as we were building our proof of concept from our consulting clients to guide that development of that proof of concept to make sure that we were on the right track. We're not just, we didn't just develop what Kim Snyder thought the banking industry needed, right? We went to our banking clients and said, what do you want us to solve for? I think that right there to the dear listener listening, there's so many lessons to unpack because it wasn't what you, Kim Snyder, seeing as the opportunity. It was the VOC or the voice of the customer 
those experiences, those patterns guiding your decision making. And I almost can parallel that back into the opportunities for a financial brand, letting the voice of the customer, the data, those experiences guide that financial brand to the next steps forward on their own journey of, of, of digital growth for that matter. When you look at those opportunities mm-hmm. of listening and using data and, and pattern recognition, the way that I look at data is that it's the oil. It's the oil that makes what I call the digital growth engine run smoothly. And it can really provide some perspective. Are we gaining altitude? Are we losing altitude? You know, course correct, if you will. What are some of the opportunities for a community institution and really just any financial brand for that matter when it comes to identifying patterns, kind of like you have done, just from your own personal experience of listening? Yeah, well, well, I think, again, the patterns are there in the data. The struggle that community financial ha- institutions have are, are visualizing the data in mm. a way that they can understand it easily. Banks are used to getting their information in linear reports. Here's a report of your new depositors. Here's a report of your new loans. Here's a report of the loans that paid off. Here's a report of the deposit customers who left. Here's a, There's nothing that ties it together without a lot of manual intervention. And so it's very hard to glean any kind of insights, right? when you're looking at data in a linear fashion. Yes. Very difficult. If you have a a platform like Clarivus that enables you to aggregate all of the high value data points, pull it together and then visualize it in a way that makes sense. So you can understand your customer trends, you can understand the behaviors, you can understand what's happening at your bank. All of a sudden now you're able to glean insights that you could not glean before from just these specific linear pieces of information. They're disparate pieces of information until you pull them together and make a picture out of them, if you will. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, I, I like that analogy because coming back to the digital growth engine model, you know, there are ones and zeros and and that's kind of the root of, of data. And then you can have some of the, the gauges, the analytics that begin to visualize. But when you really get to that clear picture, painting that clear picture, that provides a clarity that we've never really had before. And when you consider about this idea of data visualization through analytics and really analytics to gain that clarity, to gain that insight, from your perspective, what is the high cost? Because I think if we talk about costs from a banking perspective, what is the high cost of bad customer data for a financial brand? What might hold them back right here? Well, unfortunately, banks have not thought about data as an enterprise-wide asset before now, in my opinion, right? Typically, data lives with the IT department. Yes. Okay. It's not viewed from a business objective perspective, and that needs to change in the industry. So the high cost of bad customer data, right? So oftentimes you'll go into an organization and you'll have the CIO saying, we need a data cleanup project. We need to go clean up our data. We need to do a data scrub, right? Who wants to spend time doing that? What's very interesting when we bring a a client up on Clarivus, it's like an aha moment. It's like, oh my gosh, now I see it. Now I understand. Now I get it. Now I know why we need to go spend time cleaning up that piece of data. So until you do that, right, going back to your question about the high high cost of bad customer data, you can't take advantage of predictive analytics. Mm. You can't take advantage of artificial intelligence. Mm. You can't take advantage of 
marketing campaigns where if you can't serve up the right data to, to campaign to the right, you know, customers uh, profiles, right? How are you going to do that if you have bad customer data? So it's not just a financial cost of the effort going to clean it up, right? It's truly a cost on the financial value of your organization and your ability to grow your franchise. Well, the, there's so much talk at the macro level about data being the oil of the new economy. And I'm curious to, to learn from your perspective, because I see this too. Why has data historically been siloed from the lens of IT, information technology? You know, because I see there's opportunity from a marketing perspective mm -hmm. and there's an opportunity from a sales and a lending perspective. But can we just unwind some of this sure. and, of why IT for lack of a better word, traditionally holding the keys to the kingdom. And how might we allow IT to let go of some of that power and control and, and, and reduce some of the, the traditional silos that might be holding back progress here? Yeah, I think it goes back to IT man manages the core systems of a bank, right? They're, yes. they're, they're, the, they're typically the owners of the core system and the report writing, right? Functionality lives within the core for, right. for a lot of the key data points, right? And so oftentimes a bank will, will, will have a core system, they'll have a report writing license, but those report writing licenses might be expensive. They're cumbersome. It's not an easy thing to do, right? No. So. So it's it's a certain group of people inside of your organization that has the skill set, right, mm. to write reports and, and deliver information. And so I think it's a system problem, to be honest with you. It's the way data is delivered to the banks today. Yeah. It's their data, but they have a difficulty accessing it. That's that's the problem we're trying to solve. That's the problem we are solving at Clarivus, right? And you mentioned marketing, James Robert, and, and sometimes you'll go in and data will be owned to entirely by the marketing department. That's not the right answer either. It truly needs to be an enterprise-wide asset. Correct. It needs to start from the top down. The strategic plan needs to be talking about the importance of data and data analytics. It needs to have board buy-in, right? And this it needs to be baked into the DNA of the bank. I mean, yes. and, and that doesn't happen overnight. That's a culture change for sure. But it's critical in this new post-COVID industry, the world that we're living in. It's absolutely critical. It's going to be paramount for them to be able to continue to compete, in my opinion. I'm going to poke on that point of cost a little bit more because yeah. I can see, and, and I agree with you, it, like data is not just a marketing or it, it is that cultural perspective, top to bottom, bottom to top. But from a cost, I, I can think of a, a couple of examples recently of some financial brands that I've been advising to where marketing, marketing has to go to IT to do a core report pull that data set, load that up into marketing automation, and there might be five to 10 hours worth of time just to get that insight to then take action on. It could even be more than that, depending upon the complexities of this. And then when you look at operationalizing and systemizing that, well, then they're doing that, is it is it once a month? Is it is it bi-weekly? And so then you have all of this cost and time that we don't really think about. It just, ah, well, we, these are the things that we have to do to get to here. But from what I'm understanding from you and, and what I see as well, there's a better way forward, yes? Yeah, absolutely. I call it, let's free up the gray space, guys. 
your bankers. Okay. So stop spending your time writing information and creating the information. Let's leverage technology to deliver the information in a way that you can quickly and easily interpret, digest, and act. Right? Right data, right hands, right time, right decisions. That's what we're trying. That's what we're all about at Clarivus. And so we're we're cutting that 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 one process that you described when we were doing process improvement engagements, I can't tell you the number of banks that we would go in. They could have five people in five different departments writing five different reports with the same pieces of information on it on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. But the executive that they were writing the report for wanted it a little bit different. Right. And so just think about the manpower that you have and the labor that is being used to do that. And as I said before, they're typically high paid, intelligent people because you have to be pretty smart to be able to write reports out of the database. It's not something you can just pick up somebody off the street to say, hey, go become my report writer. It doesn't work that way. No. So that is 100 percent the foundational layer that Clarivus is solving. You just hit on it. But and that's how much time are we gaining Like how much time are we buying back? And it's from the time of what are the other things that we can do to really create exponential value. And that's where technology is a multiplier. That's something that we've really never seen before. And and I think one of the, the ways that I have found to be very helpful to drive some of this awareness, the perspective, and really the buy in is to not start with the what this is what we're going to do, or this is how we're going to do that. Cause sometimes that does create a little bit of resistance, but you know, to, to lean on Simon Sinek's perspective of starting with why or what we talk about really defining a purpose. And that purpose I see is found here. And it, and it comes from a study from Accenture where they found that more than 95% of financial brand customers do not feel that their institution knows them and their financial needs well. And I see that as a really sobering thought considering we teach here at the Digital Growth Institute the perspective of of human behavior and inter- interpersonal relationships playing out in a digital world. Like I need to know you before I like you. I need to like you before I trust you and I need to trust you before I can tell the world how great you are. But this study from Accenture really digs into a massive problem with 97% of consumers feeling their financial brand does not know them, even though we have all of this information to the point to where we started this conversation. Number one, why is this the case? And then number two, what are maybe some quick actions that financial brands could commit to take? And that's the key. I think it's like, why is this the case? But what are those quick actions that we can take to help move this forward? So the reason it's the case is because a a community financial institution today could have customer information that lives on 10, 15 different systems. Wow. Okay. And while they all say they like to talk to each other, at the end of the day, they don't. Even if they they live under the same umbrella, they don't because because the way the big cores have have evolved, right, is they bought up pieces other other companies and and they not they they haven't necessarily integrated them together. And so, and if you think about the fintech space and and all the changes, what you're doing, right, all the innovation around the 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 mobile, right, the online banking. There's all these new players in the space today, and banks are going out and embracing those new players to be able to provide a better digital experience for their customers and that digital customer journey that is so important. But on the back end of that, if I've got 15 different systems, 
systems and I have a customer, customer information that lives on all 15 systems, how the heck do I know my customer? How am I going to do that? Right. And so again, that's what we're trying to solve at Clarivus is by pulling in all that information from all those, those disparate systems, Clarivus is going to sit in the middle of the banking ecosystem, right? And so you go to one place for your information to act, to make decisions tactically as well as strategically, because you can now see your customer holistically there, whereas you can, the, the banks don't have insight into that today, that not easy insight without going into 15 different places. It's, it's just the way it is. It's crazy. It's just the way it is. Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. So put data at the center of all of your thinking and all of your doing. And if I was to humanize that, put people at the center of all of your thinking and all of your doing, because people give off so many signals from once again, coming back to their transactions, even I I think to the point of like their digital behavior, how -hmm. they're engaging with a website, what are they looking at? And and the opportunity here is to move from a a historical reactive stance in the Mm -hmm. marketplace to taking a proactive stance into people's lives. And that's where, you know, in this post COVID world, 85% of Americans here in the United States are feeling the stress, yet alone globally. And and I can't help but think that in addition to the pandemic, we're also going to have an epidemic rooted in people's wallets. I've talked about this financial stress taking a toll on people's health, their relationships, their overall sense of well-being. And and it's really, it's creating a, a very negative effect at a macro level. And so if we can transform a person's wallet, their bank account, we can transform their, their lives for the better. I know you have a strong healthcare perspective when it comes to data. This is something that I've written extensively about. I just did a, a report privately for, for an institution. And I think a lot of light bulbs are starting to go off when they're looking at not just, we're just not a financial brand anymore. We play a much bigger role, a much bigger purpose in people's lives. What valuable lessons can financial brands learn from the healthcare industry when it comes to maintaining customer data? It's real simple. Every time you go to the doctor, what do you do? You verify your name, you verify your address, you verify your phone number, you verify your email address. We don't do that in banking. We don't. We should, but we don't. And it, it, it's crazy. I, I was part in my consulting business. I was part of, you know, we, as told you, we did, we did some work in the M&A space. So we help banks do merger integrations and, and, and really the heavy lift in there. And um, one, one of the deals that we were part of the bank didn't realize it, but the activation code for their debit card pin, you know what it was? It was a phone number. And the bank had been in existence for 
60, 70 years. So guess what phone number was there? It was the customer's landlines. So when they had to call in with this conversion and, and activate, they were being asked for their phone number and it didn't match the phone number that was in the system because it was the phone, the phone number that was in the system was still the phone number that they gave them back when they opened up the account, which was a landline that doesn't even exist today. That's a problem. 281-479-0372. That was my landline growing up as a kid. And I only remember that because it's like, it's, you get pro. That's, that one's ingrained, right? Yeah. But I could not tell you anyone else's landline. Like that's, right. like, that's a very, that's a very interesting. And you're right. Was, he- healthcare, first name, last name, first name. SSN. Every single time you show up, every time you go to the doctor, it do- you could go today and you could go back tomorrow And they're going to ask you that same question every single time. Banks need to be better about that. Let's just verify and validate the the basic customer information that we have about you in the system. Another major problem with our systems today, when you have a different online banking system than you have with your core, a lot of customers will go in and update that, that information on their online banking system. It doesn't automatically translate to the core. Yes. That doesn't happen. You think it does, but it doesn't. You need a process to make that happen. (laughs) And I think too about this whole healthcare experience, what we've learned out of COVID, like telemedicine has reached new heights and new adoption and people are becoming more comfortable, you know, connecting with and talking to a doctor, kind of like we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. I can see you and it's a, it's a great experience because so much communication is body language and the un spoken part of 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 what we're saying without saying it almost like the transactional side as i was i was mm-hmm. referencing before but then i think about like you know if i have a question with my doctor now i can literally log into a portal ask a question to the nurse or to the pa i know that i'm I, i'm going to get a response in 24 hours and all of that's getting logged into my master file And then I think with healthcare, we're starting to see organizations share data. And then you got the whole HIPAA thing coming into play. But if I give the the consent for them to share data, because now I have multiple healthcare providers who are getting all of this data on me, they can provide much better treatment or recommendations framed around my unique situation. And if we can do this in healthcare across organizations, we we could definitely do this within an organization coming back to your 15 systems even, right? Yeah, absolutely. Hands down, no question. And I think too, it's like how many relationships, and I I think I saw saw Ron Shevlin writing an article about this, the secret relationships that our customers have with other financial brands that we just simply don't have any clarity on because number one, we've probably, we've never asked. Right, but you can see some of those relationships in the data. Exactly. Right? Yes. If, yes. If, they're, if they're paying your, you know, your mortgage from a bank account, that's not your bank, right? You, you, and they're doing that electronically. You can see that in the data. If you've got the right, inf- if you've got the right technology. So, and we, so, and so then, yeah, you, you absolutely should be able to capitalize on some of those opportunities. And, and, and that's where I was going with, we've never asked, we don't necessarily even have to ask anymore we can ask or find that knowing that awareness by just looking here and then come back and provide them, hey, maybe there's a better path forward. Maybe we should have a conversation about this or here's just another offer and we make that seamless from an experience standpoint. I have a follow-up to this. You know, when, when you think about, because there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of chatter about data. What is a common belief 
that this industry has about data that maybe you just passionately disagree with. Maybe there's a misconception that you might have a different point of view on. What would that be? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. There's still too many people in this industry that think that data should live in the IT world and the IT department. Mm. And I passionately disagree with that with my whole body. And they do. And some of it is because they don't understand it. It's just the business objectives, you know, bringing the business to the forefront too often. Let, let's take an example of that. When the IT department is in control and, and I'm not, I'm not I, like, I love IT folks. So I don't, right. I love, I love them. Right. They're focused on security. That's what they need to be focused on. That's what you pay them to do. Right. They're focused on keeping the systems up and running those types of things. Oftentimes they have insight and, and help govern the coding, right. Of, of how you put loans onto the books or deposits onto the books or what have you. You need to be thinking about those things from a business objective standpoint. Yes. You get to, how am I going to use that information? Let's take PPP as an example. When PPP came, came around last year, right? We got to get them on the system. We got to get them on the system. Or maybe not. They're only going to be around a little while. Let's put them on Excel. We'll just book them on Excel. We'll do that and do a manual journal entry, right? And then three months later, they're like, oh gosh, I look at how many new customers I got out of PPP. Well, you didn't book it on the system. So you don't have that insight. And it's because you didn't think about the business objective before you decided how you're going to process. Yes. And that's a change in culture, James Robert. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's a, and it has to, the business objective has to be driving, right? The strategy and the decisions around data and the data governance and your practices and your policies and so forth. Start with the end in mind and then work backwards. Great example on the PPP side with the Excel. I see that all the time between like a marketing and a sales team relationship. We've got an FI that we're advising and they're setting up a digital branch right now and they're looking to empower this digital branch to start doing outbound calls based in outbound contacts based upon the information that they're getting from the marketing team. And I'm like, so where is all of this data, this communication and and these touch points going to live? And they said in Excel. And so we started to go down the rabbit hole of all of the blind spots that this would create. We're not opening this up to where someone could jump in. It's like the healthcare perspective coming back. All of that information is collected in a central area to where if the nurse goes away, well, the next nurse can come in, read the history and the last visit. And here's, okay, great. And you were getting caught up to speed. And so I think... That, that PPP example, the example that I'm talking here, that's just a microcosm of where not having all of this centralized. And so the opportunity was really CRM for them. And there's a lot of like bristling I see. When you mentioned the word CRM internally, oh. <laughs> there's some history there. And and it's mm-hmm. not a good history to where mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying, okay, fine. Customer relationship management. Words have power. Maybe we, we we call this a customer relationship multiplier to reframe the context of, of the value creation that can come from CRM. But even to your point about IT, I want to come back to that because like historically, IT has been about protecting the kingdom. And what you're referencing is really future focus. It's growth related. And so there's just a different, even maybe a mindset that goes into this. Looking at even like CRM, how was that conversation coming up and just the the data work that you're doing with institutions? 
Yeah, it comes up a lot. And and you're right. CRM has a bristling effect. I love that <laughs> because it does. And I think that goes more to, unfortunately, um, accountability culture yes. or lack thereof um, uh-huh. inside of some community FIs. Just that's something that not everybody is is always embracing, right? Now, if you're in growth mode, then you definitely are embracing it and so forth. But I think, um, unfortunately, in the past CRM systems, very seldom, unfortunately, do I see a bank implement those well, to be honest with you. So so I think that that's why that friction exists around, around them. I want to go back, though, for a second, if I can, because sure. when you were giving your example, it, it, the light bulb kind of went off on, in my head about, about customer relationships. So community banking is all about relationship banking. Okay. And I'm, and I'm going to, I'm not going to go back to my silos on this one again. Sometimes you could have, if you're truly serving your customer well, and, and you know your customer, right? You might have four different salespeople working with that customer. You could have a mortgage person, right? Mm-hmm. Working with them. You could have a, if they have a business, then they've got a business banker, maybe that they do business with. They could have a retail private banker that they also do business with on the wealth side, perhaps. Well, if your data is in silos and the mortgage person doesn't know what the wealth person's doing, and when they're looking at that customer, they can't see that total relationship, you've got a real problem. That's why the consumer thinks you don't know who I am, because you should know (laughs) that I'm dealing with one financial institution. They should know, even if I'm dealing with multiple people inside of that bank, they should know me and they should understand that, yeah, I did just do a mortgage, you know, three months ago and refinanced my house. Don't the wealth person shouldn't be asking me that question. But oftentimes we fumble there and we fumble there because of that disparate data problem that we have in the industry and the silos. And if all of that was logged in a central system, coming back to the uh, the perspective of CRM, that would really solve some of those pain points. And th- there, I think healthcare, once again, I think, you know, I've got my GP, I've got my cardiologist, I've got my neurologist, and I've got all of these specialists who really provide that unique expertise. But if we kept all of that information, blood work, et cetera, you know, I would be donating blood every time I went to go see each one of these doctors. Um, this that's a, that's a really great practical example of, mm-hmm. and I and I think it, it it ties deeper into a perspective that I've been thinking a lot about banking with expertise because mm-hmm. if every product that we bring to bear in the marketplace is commoditized, our unique identifiers are either the experience, whether that be digital in-person, remote, what, what have you. And I think even more important than that, it's the expertise that we bring to, to bear mm-hmm. through those experiences. But we need to empower our experts with the knowledge of the customer so that they can provide even more value because otherwise there's a lot of blind spots internally. And, and when you think about those blind spots, being a banker yourself... What is just one practical piece of advice, a recommendation that you could could make to others to just take this first step to maybe capture some low hanging fruit with what we'll just call a data strategy for the time being? Yeah, I would get the executive team in the in the room and and have a conversation about data. Make sure the business leaders are there. And what data points do you need to serve your customers better that you don't have access to? Hmm. Simple question. They'll tell you, 
I guarantee you they'll tell you, or, and, and maybe you don't phrase it in what data points, what information would you like to have about your customer instead of having to go to IT and ask for a report and wait for two weeks before it comes to you because it goes through a, a, a lots of changes before it gets to you, right? Yes. Back and forth. What information would it would help you, right? And let's do a whiteboard, okay? Do we have that information? And if we have it, how do we get it accessible to you? That to me is the starting point. How could we help you Serve your customer. Yeah. How could we help you be even smarter to do even more, to create even more value for the customer that you're serving? Once again, and that's the business objective that's starting with the end in mind and then working backwards. And I think that's why maybe CRM falls short so many times is they're buying the tool or the technology without really thinking through of what's the objective that we're working towards here. And I even see like with CRM, pilot programs go a long way. Starting small, instead of like trying to like, you know, shove this down the the throat of culture and create new cultural behaviors and habits, but we start small, we get some micro wins that increases the confidence of the team at large. And it's like, well, I want what they they have. Can we do can we do even more of that? And it, it, it's a, a self-fulfilling cycle to be even smarter, to do even more, to create even more value, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think starting with that business objective in mind at the end of the day, it's interesting. We, you know, through this past year, as we've launched Clarivus and had lots of conversations with lots of different institutions, we often get asked, are you going to turn into a CRM? And my answer to that is no, there's plenty of those out there. We'll integrate with a CRM, but, you know, we're going to focus on what we do best, right? So that, but but secondly, a lot of the larger institutions sometimes will say, well, I'm just going to go hire or I've hired 10 days data scientists to come join my team to build out this, this, this platform. And the problem is, is that data scientists don't understand banking. <laughs> and it's really hard to find someone who, who understands both sides of the, the equation. And so it, it kind of goes back again. If, if you don't have the business driving the technology, anybody can go buy a pretty piece of technology. Tons of them on the market today. You were exactly right. Oftentimes where they fail is they think technology is going to solve the problem. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't solve the problem. You have to have a strategy around it, right? And the, the implementation, whether it's a customer relationship management system, whether it's a data analytics tool, whether it's a, you know, a marketing platform, whatever it might be, you have to have a strategy. Just going to buy the piece of technology, it just doesn't solve the problem on its own. Yeah, it's like you 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 buy the Rolls Royce, and beautiful beautiful car, but then you don't have any money left over for gas, or you don't have a driver to drive you in the car because if you're gonna get a Rolls Royce, probably want a driver <laughs> to drive. Driver. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's a that's a great point. You, you mentioned you're having all these conversations this mm-hmm. year, and you're getting a lot of questions. Besides what you just referenced, what might be the top question? that you're getting over and over that pattern recognition once again, what's the top question that you're continuously getting in these conversations about data? So while it may not be a question that the comment that we're, that we're hearing most frequently now that that banks are starting to pick up the phone and re-engage right last year, wasn't a great year necessarily to launch a new <laughs> launch a new product with COVID coming on board. However, it's I need data analytics today more than I needed it yesterday. Mm. They're recognizing it, right? Because they they understand the digital transformation journey that everybody's been saying is coming. Well, it's here. They get it. They understand it. They want to understand for future branching strategies how much of this channel change sticks 
right? Mm. We had this extensive, massive change in channel delivery, right? Where folks that we'd said would never, ever use mobile to do their banking or online banking, all of a sudden they did, right? Because they didn't have a choice. Right. How much of it sticks? Because that's going to impact the brand, the, the bank, or it should, they should have insight into that, right? Yes. As they're deciding their growth strategy and their branching strategy going forward. And so bankers are understanding that. CEOs, CFOs, the executive team, they, they're talking about it. They're thinking about it. Um, all Not just the big boys, the community financial institutions is, is, is really, you know, where we're primarily focused today. They're having those conversations and they want to understand how, how do I make this happen? I need to, I understand that. That's great news, not just for you, but I think really for the industry at large, because we can move forward, we can make progress together, and we're doing this to empower the lives and make the lives of the people within the communities that we serve even that much better as well. Kim, this has been such a great conversation. If someone's listening, they want to connect with you, they want to say hello, they want to continue the conversation, what is the best way for them to do that? They can email me at kimsnyder at clarivis.com. You can go to our website or in my phone number, I think is, is, is out there as well. So um, would love to have a conversation and, um, or, and continue the conversation because I love talking about data. <laughs> well, it, is, it has been fun. It has been a great conversation, Kim. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. Thanks for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.